Hey, so uh, we're getting ready to hit Romans chapter 4. We're moving through Romans pretty good. And uh, so here's what we've learned so far. And, and this leads us into where we're at. Okay, so if you could imagine, uh, this is where we, what we've learned up till chapter 4 and what we're going to learn in the beginning of chapter 4 in this. Uh, if you could imagine that Spencer here is God. Okay, I know you're going to have to use your imagination, right? Especially those of you who have lived with him, been around him, you know him. You're going to have to really use your imagination that he is God. But just for a moment, imagine that he is God and that beautiful beach towel is his righteousness, all right? So what we've learned in Romans so far is when I come into this world, I come in far away from God. I'm not like, you know, God's child. You're, you don't come into this. Where we learned that a couple of weeks ago. You don't come into this world as God's child. You come in with some innocence. And as soon as righteousness is revealed to you, the difference between right and wrong and consequences and all of that are revealed. Now you're accountable to God for that. And so, you, you know, there isn't an age of accountability we talk about of where children, if they die, they go to heaven. And that's going to come up a little bit later in Scripture. But um, anyways, in this... What we learn is we come into this world as an enemy of God. In chapter 6, you're going to find out you come into this world as an enemy. And in chapter 5, we're even going to see that uh, while we were his enemies, he loved us and died for us so that we wouldn't have to be enemies anymore. But we come into this world with one desire, and that is to please who, Laura? Ourselves, right? Everybody, who do we come to please? Everybody get your thumbs ready and say, me. Well, who do we come to please, y'all? Me, that's who we come to please. And, and we come in this world when you're a little baby, you want to please you. If you do go to church, it's so that your parents don't mess with you, right, Chuck? It's like if you uh, do do godly things, it's because there's going to be a benefit to you. Or maybe even you have some kind of works relationship with God. But the fact is, it's all about you and it's not about God. And so we come in, so there's a road to God. God's still standing there. You good still standing there? God's still standing there. I put him over by the beach because that's as most like God as we can get right here, right? So, so there's a road from us to God. And we learned even in Romans chapter 1 that through rainbows, through creation, through birth, through conception, through everything that God has miraculously done, he lets us know that we know there is a God. It's not enough for salvation, but we know that there is a God. We know that there's a higher power. We know there's somebody that's way more powerful and that's in control. And so we either pursue that knowledge. Well, y'all were in Alaska. Was it deny? Could you like just look at that and say, oh, yeah, evolution man made all that. No, dude, every post you had was like, oh, look what God did. I mean, did, were you not blown away every day? And it was cold even there. Yeah, so to be able to be that blown away by God in a place where it's cold, that's really God, all right? But anyways, so God reveals himself to us. What do you do with that? Two choices. One, you can say, I want to pursue this God that's in charge. And you pursue and, and, and you say, you know, uh, who are you? What, well, what do you? And God starts responding to you and he gives you grace and faith to be able to accept you and, and accept him as you were at not work your way, but as he draws you to him. Or we learned in Romans one, you can say, you know what? All right. There's a God. La, 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 la. I don't want to hear about a God. I don't want to know about a God because I don't want to be accountable to a God. I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to keep walking away from God and I'm going to create my own gods. He even says when you create your own gods, you, you create them in the form of bugs, beasts, and birds, or another human being, including yourself. You make your own gods, and it's so inferior to the almighty, the eternal God. I mean, look at him. 
You know what I'm saying? It's like it's so inferior to that, the God that you create. But so here you are in life. And I did this till I was about 25 years old. I think it was June 27th, 1988 was when I gave my life to Christ for real. You know, Christmas 87 was when I gave it to him. I just didn't I didn't know the theological stuff and didn't really know how. Bottom line, in that little time period, that's when I quit making life about my story. Up until that point, I'm on this road, and am I headed towards God or away from God? I'm heading away from God, and I'm creating a story. I'm looking, this is my life. This is my goal. These are my dreams. These are my hopes. It's my, I got to pick up my boots. I got to make this happen. I've got to accomplish this. I've got to accomplish that. And I'm making it all about my life. It's my story. How many of y'all can identify? At some point in life, and it might even be now, it's my story. It's my story. I'm responsible for everything going on in my story. I got to do my, oh, hey, and if you do have a belief in God, it's like, oh, hey, God, can you help me out in my story? Help me. Here's my story. Here's what I want to happen. And you know what? I, I think there's a God. Can you help me make this story work out? And, and he might. Out of his grace. You stay over there. You're in heaven, man. He's, he, he, he's, he might help you out. But the purpose of helping you out is so that you can see how awesome he is. And all of a sudden, your story becomes his story. Y'all get it? it? It's not. When we come in this world, it's all about my story. But at some point in time, like Abraham, we're going to learn today, it's not about Abraham's story. It's not my story. It's his story. Everything in life from this point on, when I give my life to him, is about him. It is his story. Whatever he chooses, whatever he wants to do, he made me, he created me. He's, he, once I give my life to him, it, it, I got eternity with him. He loves me perfectly, can never love me more, never love me less. And so it's now not my story anymore. It's his story. And that was the turning point with Abraham. We're going to look at a little bit in chapter 12 of Genesis. We're not even going to go there. Y'all can read chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 on and, and read what I'm talking about in Genesis. Great story. But at some point, God said, hey, Abraham, what, what do you ask Abraham to do in chapter 12? Simply put, what do you ask him to do? Go, yeah, go where? Did God tell him where he goes? No, he did not. Can you identify with that? Yeah, just a little bit. Yeah, God just said go. And, God, and, and now he had a wife, right? You got a wife, right? Did, did you say like I said when God told me to plant this church? He's like, hey, did you tell my wife this? <laughs> you know, did, did you clear my wife in with this story here? He's like, yeah, I'm working on that, you know? And, and so the idea is he just said Go. And, and, and Abraham, by faith, said, all right, cool, God. You know what the word faith means in Hebrew? What we're going to see when we see this word faith, um, and, and it, it, not in Hebrew, but in the Greek, this, this word that we're looking at in the Hebrew, when, I'm sorry, let me screw that up. Uh, let me screw that up. I just did. Let me straighten it up. In Hebrew, when it's talking about Abraham and faith, his faith made him righteous. You know what faith means? It means to say Amen. That's all it says. It, says. it means to say amen. So God says here, I want you to go, hey, you know what? I know y'all are looking for houses. I don't know how anything turned out. But God says, you know what I want y'all to do? I want you to go get you a double wide trailer. <laughs> go get, and, and you know what? If you have faith and you know that's what God told you to do, you say what? Amen. That's faith. 
Whatever God, that, so now when you have faith and you live by faith, it's not your story anymore. It's God's story. And you figure out what he wants you to do and he doesn't need your help. Amen? That's faith. He said, amen, amen. God, what do you want me to do? Amen, do that. What do you want me to do? Amen, you do that. And so at some point, God gives you grace. That's the desire and ability to do what he wants you to do. And through faith, you say, you know what? My, it's not going to be my story anymore. Now it's going to be God's story. And you come to God. Now, there's three processes. There's, sanct- there's, there's, there's salvation, which is coming to God. Next is sanctification, which is becoming more like God. And the last is glorification, where we're with him forever and we're just like God. And this is where people get this whole works thing all messed up and live in some performance-oriented theology where they think one day God loves them dearly because they were being obedient, and the next day they think God hates them because they've screwed up. Anybody identify with that? I hope this illustration with the towel will clear this up. Because when I come to God, God, it's not my story. It's your story. Life is now, it's not what I can do for you. It's what you now have already done for me. Y'all get that? It's not what I can do for God. What can you do for God? Anything you can do for God, he's equipped you to do. He's given you the resources. He's, it's, it's the faith to believe, to just say, that sounds weird. Amen. <laughs> God ever thrown that at you? That sounds weird. Amen. Let's do it. So here I come to God and say, God, I'm done. That's what I did at 25, 26 years old. I said, I'm done being the boss of my life. I quit. That sounds highly irresponsible, especially to my college degree and everything else. Like, dude, that's not what you do. But I'm like, I give up. It's yours. And he said, good, I've been waiting for you. And you've heard this before. I'll be very brief on this. But when I did that, he said, good, I want you to be a preacher. And I said, who am I going to preach to? People I sold drugs to? I can't be a preacher like those guys on TV. I don't even know I can wear a suit. And by the way, I did for a period of time. But it's like, God, I can't be that. He said, no, man, I want you to be like that fish that stays under a shark. And all your provisions are taken care of. All of your protection's taken care of, and I'm going to take you places with my fins that your little remora fins can't take you in your wildest dreams. And I'm going to tell you, if almost 30 years later, however long it's been since 1988, whatever that is, man, it's true. But it, I had to surrender my life. It's not my life anymore. It's his life, and it's what he's done for me. And so when I gave my life to him, guess what he did? He put his righteousness on me. Here, we're, we're going to... Yes, that, you're totally covered by his righteousness. So listen, when I got saved, I got Christ's righteousness on me. Where did I get it from? Him. It's his right, not mine. He doesn't make me all of a sudden, now I am a righteous acting person. No, he imputed it. He put it in my account, we're going to see. I have, he claims, he calls me. He says, Eddie is now righteous. He takes Christ's righteousness and puts it on me, and he takes away my old right unrighteousness. I get to lose my unrighteousness. And what, by the way, did Christ do with my unrighteous life that I have yet to fulfill? I mean, I still got sinning to do, don't I? Not on purpose, but I'm going to still. What did Christ do with my past, present, and future sins? He paid for them on the cross. He nailed them to the cross, and they're done. They're gone. 
They're gone. I'm not saying there's kind of consequences to it or whatever, but for salvation in eternity, he took it away and he gave me his righteous life. Now, how long, Sabrina, how long do I get to keep this righteous life? How long do I get to wear this towel? I, I, forever. If forever. Oh, so, hey, man, I have a really bad spell for a week, and I'm, like, cussing out all the snowbirds on US-1, and I'm, like, being selfish, and I'm being me. Oh, I lose. Well, wait a minute. Okay, God says, you're not worthy to wear that righteousness. Is that what happens? No. I am classified. I, I am classified as righteous by God, because when he put this righteousness on me, it stays on for how long? Forever. This is, I can't lose it. It's eternal. It can't fall out of my pocket. I don't have to renew it like a magazine subscription or, or I guess I should say now, y'all don't even know what magazines are anymore, do you? I say like a, you know, your app, you got to renew your app. You don't have to renew it. It's there. Here's my righteousness. So now I have a, a path. What's God's desire? Why did he give me righteousness? You know why? Because he wants me walking towards him. God wants nothing more than to have intimate fellowship with me. And that's as good news we're going today, buddy. All right. But yeah, he wants intimate fellowship. This is what God desires. So man, whenever I'm not having that intimate fellowship, which direction am I walking to or from God? I'm walking away. Do I, and, and if I keep walking, there's consequences out here. And God's calling me back. God's calling me back. Uh, Eddie, come back. Eddie. Yeah, whenever, and, and, and I keep walking and God is still. Eddie, come back. Oh, how many of you ever heard God calling you back? But did I lose my righteousness? No, but now I turn. Hey, that act of turning, I'm walking the wrong way. And now I turn back to him. What is that word that theology that so many Christians hate? Repent! Why do you hate it? Because, because the point is, is many people aren't Christians who don't repent. And, and, and many people are so wrapped up in their pride. Many people have bad theology, and they think, well, I've already blown. I might as well go. What There's a lot of reasons, but the fact is, is that I represent Christ. Everybody sees me in Christ. I, I'm walking away. Is that good or bad, Gary? It's going to end up, but the world's over here saying, whoo, that's good, that's good. And it is good until the consequences hit. And God is, what's God doing? Call me back when I say that. Just say, Eddie, come back. Anytime I, oh, and I hear the Holy Spirit and I turn. That act of turning is what repentance is. I turn and I come back. And, and, and he's telling me what? Eddie, come back. And I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm going to go in this cul-de-sac right here and mess around in life a little bit. In other words, to come back, I got I to gotta, I gotta do what he's asked me to do. I'm on his path because it's his life. It's not my life anymore. How much of, hey, how much do you want Christ to save of you? Do you want him just to save 20%, 80%, or 100%? 100%. How much did he save? How much did he purchase? And how much did he pay for it? Oh my goodness, he paid for with his blood. He, you, you are the most valuable thing on this planet because God could not have paid any more for you than what he paid for you. And it's a permanent purchase. So how much of you should come back? All of it. 
That's what he's looking for. And at any point in time on this road, once he's clothed me in his righteousness, Scott, at any point in time, do I ever lose this? No, I've always got this. I've always got it. And this is what happens. So salvation is where I get this righteousness imputed to me. It's in my account. I am righteous. Not by nature necessarily. I'm righteous by his standard, by his accounting procedures. I'm righteous. But practically speaking, how many of y'all know you're not righteous? How many of y'all know you walk down the wrong path and you hear God saying, you hear God saying, oh, yeah, yeah. And then you get farther away. How many of you heard God say it really loud? And you come back. And you come back, but do you ever lose this righteousness? No, once you have it, you have it. It's yours. That's salvation. If, could you imagine if the devil could get you believing bad theology where, where every time you mess up, God takes his righteousness back and you're, he's, you're out here left hanging. But do you know how many Christians have that bad theology? Man, that, I've lost it. Oh, I've got to come back and get saved again. I've got to get baptized again. I've got to get, you know, I've I got to make a trip. Whatever you want to call it. You never lose this. You're always his. And when you get this, what's his love like for you? Caitlin, what's his love like for you? Is it perfect or imperfect? So can he love you anymore? No. No matter how much you like hang out and you have intimate fellowship with him, he's not loving you more here. But by the same token, as you're walking away, is he loving you less? No. In fact, he's loving you in perfection. He's saying, Eddie, come back. I love you too much to let you keep going in the direction you're going. That's what sin, sin causes death. Sin causes problems. Sin kills hopes, dreams, desires. But you never lose this. So any time you're walking away, God's not like, oh, well, there you go, man. You know, no, God's like, come back. I don't want you to experience the consequences of sin. Come back. He's not trying to be a cosmic killjoy. He's saying, Eddie, come back. So this is our... Glorification, uh, salvation is when we get this. Sanctification is this process we're in where we walk away from him and we hear him say, we, we hear him say, yeah, through his word, through his Holy Spirit, and we come back. And then we go back again and we come back. Does God ever get tired of that? Does God ever say, that's enough. Enough is enough is enough. I'm taking your beach towel. Is that what he says? No. Let me ask you a question. Can you disappoint God? Let's look at a definition of disappoint. When somebody's disappointed you, that means generally they've done something you didn't think they were capable of doing, right? Like, oh my goodness. I never dreamed you would ever do anything like that. Okay. So based on that definition of doing something that they never dreamed you would do, can you disappoint God? When he clothed you in righteousness, did he know you were going to be the scumbag that you were yesterday? Did he know you were going to be the sinner that you're going to be tomorrow? Did he know the rest of the thing? Yes, but he loved us so much that while we were his enemies, he died for us. And so you can't disappoint God. So much where, oh, well, I'm taking your righteousness back. No, instead, when you love somebody, Man, when you love somebody, Julia, you see your little kids in the parking lot running. Uh, are you like, oh, look, they're just being kids. They're having fun. 
No, what do you think of in a, in a crowded parking lot when they're running? Yeah, they're going to get hit. Has your mom ever told you that? Don't run in the parking lot. Yeah, a long time ago. You're more mature now. You don't need that correction anymore, but you will when you're a teenager. But uh, don't, don't, don't do it anymore. Why? You want to be a killjoy and not let them run in the parking lot? No, you don't want them, their joy to be killed <laughs> by running in the parking lot. But again, they're, they're your kid. So if they did get hit, you've told them a million times, don't run in the parking lot. You're going to get hit by a car, and all of a sudden, Ethan gets squished. He's still alive. He's still breathing. Some of his appendages are still moving. He's going to probably make it. A little lot of internal bleeding, all that stuff. God forbid. I'm covering this with the blood of Jesus. Are you going to be laying there going, ha, I told you that was what was going to happen. I told you if you kept running in the parking lot, you were going to get hit. Now you got what you deserve. When you get up, you come back to me. No, what are you going to do? Oh, my goodness. You love him. You're going to lift him up. Yes, you're going to be like, oh, you idiot. No, I'm just sorry. <laughs> no, you're going to be like, I told you. Oh, I told you for your good. Will you listen to me next time and take you back and love you and nurture you back? What if Ethan's like, I don't want your help. I don't want your help, Mom. And he's bleeding out his nose and everything. I don't want your help. And he's running from you. How many of y'all ever been hit by a truck and you're running from God? You know, he loves you. Do what he said to do. I don't care if it makes sense to you or not. You don't lose this righteousness. That is your salvation. Sanctification is this process where we keep, we hear God say, and you keep coming back. And there's sometimes we come back and this is where God wants us in intimate fellowship. Now we're in this process, salvation, sanctification. You know what the good news is? One day we're going to be glorified. We're going to be glorified, and we're going to come, and we're going to spend eternity with God. We're going to be his kid. He's going to be our father. It's going to be eternal. We're going to dwell together forever, and there's not going to be any more separation between us and God. Man, can y'all wait for that day? That's glorification. But don't mess up salvation and sanctification. Two different things. When you get saved, how long are you saved for, Lorelai? How much of you did he pay for? All of it, man. He owns it all, and he owns it forever. You don't lose this righteousness. Now, the act of becoming righteous, becoming more like him, that's the goal. Let me ask you a question. Is it better to be closer to God doing things his way or walking around in your own, your own, what's better? What's better? What, what is, Chuck, what's one thing that comes with God? What's one thing that comes with God? Everything, but what's the one thing that begins with P and ends with East? Peace, yes! Love, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, all those things come from being by him. What comes from the world? If peace comes from him, what comes from being way out here? Chaos. Yeah. But it takes us experiencing that to kind of see. So whether we're in chaos or peace, chaos by our own fault, did we lose our righteousness? No, we still have our righteousness. No matter what you've got is righteousness, if you're his child and you've been born again. But man, does it not make more sense to go th do things his way? Since you even have the ability to do it because you have his righteousness. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. So man, when you hear God saying, come back, come back, come back. 
But don't ever feel like God has ditched you and you don't have His righteousness. There's, there's salvation, there is sanctification, and there's glorification. I can't wait for glorification, but we're right in the middle of this sanctification. And don't mess up the sanctification and the salvation. Give God a hand. No. <laughs> All right. We'll use you at the end. Last point. We'll use you at the end on the last point. You're like, dude, we could just go home now after that. But I haven't gone through the scripture yet. We got to go through scripture here. Check this out. So we're talking about revival through Romans. And, and, and man, you can have revival. This one point, I say this every week because it's true. If you will implement this one point, you can have revival. I guarantee you, man. Revival through Romans. If you are saved, then through faith, your life story has become his story. It, it's not, it, it, your life is his story and not your story. So, so again, how many of you have ever said, I give up, I'm done, I want you to be the boss, I want you to run my life? Anybody say that before? Yeah, that's what salvation is. I don't care about my story anymore because I have made a mess. I don't care about my story because... Man, it's not satisfying. It's not my story anymore. He purchased me. It's now his story. How many of y'all dig in the fact that you're living in his story now? Is that better? Yeah. There's peace in that. There's love in that. There's joy in that. There's eternity in heaven in all of that. That's the deciding factor. And if you want to figure out whether or not you're really saved or not, that's something you need to look at. Is my life my story, or is my life his story? Ashley, I mean, Emily and, and, and Skylar, you guys fixing to get married. Is it going to be your marriage? Y'all's marriage? It's our marriage. It's our life. You can't boss us around. You can't tell us what to do. I don't want to. I'm not saying you're going to do that, but you need to, because two becoming one, you leave, cleave, and weave. You leave your parents, not physically and all of that. It, what that means is now you two are making the decisions, and we have to honor how you do it, however how boneheaded it, just you choose to do it. We have to honor that. And we're going to want to get involved, aren't we, Kelly? Oh, we're going to want to get involved. Yes, we are. And my wife's going to remind me a hundred times, it's not your marriage, it's theirs. Not your marriage. It's just like it does with the kids. It's not, you're not their parent. Ashley and JJ are. I'm like, oh no, but they're being boneheads. No, but you leave. You leave your parents and you become one. You cleave together and then you weave the rest of your life together. But is it your marriage? Whose marriage is it? It's God. Whose marriage is it, Skylar? I just want to hear you say it. I got to hear you say it. You're marrying my baby girl. Whose marriage is it? God's marriage. And don't you forget it. For it to be God's marriage, you got to be in that intimate relationship. Every time you find yourself in your right, you got righteousness. Do you have righteousness? Have you been saved? Are you clothed in righteousness? You still got it? I'm just asking in front of everybody, all right? So if it ever doesn't come true, I can bring you up here and we'll have church discipline, brother. No. Do you have God's righteousness? Yes. And so every time, man, when you find yourself in the marriage, Emily, Skylar, any of us, and, 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 and we know we're just in our own world, and we hear, Skylar, come back. Emily, come back. We come back to him and swallow our pride because it's not my life. It's his. That's why it's beautiful to not be unequally yoked. Emily, are you a believer? You have righteousness? All right, good. I'm holding you to it too. You're just, yeah, church discipline. You're a preacher's kid too. But I'm just saying, 
Man, it's God's righteousness, not yours. It's God's life, not yours. Your marriage has to glorify God. That's what you do. So it becomes his story, not our story. If your life, you do a little audit and say, wow, you know, I know I'm a believer, but lately life really has been about me. It's really been about my story, about me being satisfied, about me being fulfilled, about me being happy, about me having joy, about me, about me, about me, me. Remember the seagulls in Nemo? Mine, 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 mine. Y'all remember that? Boom, they all hit the sail and they all, yeah. Dude, is that who you want to be? But if you're a believer and you see that's who you've been, man, repent. He's calling you back today, saying, you got my righteousness, you represent me. Come back to me. It's my life, not yours. Because that's what you did. You gave it to him when you got saved. And that's what Abraham did. So through faith, Abraham gave up his story. Man, we don't really know much about Abraham before he took off with God, right? He was, I guess, in Ur. The camp. I mean, Ur sounds like a pretty hopping place, doesn't it? You know, he could have been a rich dude, could have been the mayor, could have, could have been the head politician, the head rancher, the head everything. He could have had it made in Ur, or he could have been in a lot of trouble. It doesn't really matter. God wouldn't let us know, but the fact is we don't know much. All we know is God said, hey, Abraham, and he was a pagan at that point. He was a pagan. He's the one who started it all. God said, hey, I want you, I reveal myself to you, and I want you to follow me. And what did he say? What's the word that begins with A and ends with men? What did he say? Amen. That's faith. I want you to follow me. Well, I need a few details, God. Can you give me the three-year plan? All right, give me the three-hour plan. (laughs) I'll settle for a three-hour plan. God said, what? Ain't no three-hour plan. Ain't no three-day plan. No three-week plan. No three-month plan. No, you follow me. What, you don't trust me? No, it's not that, God. I just need to know where we're going because, yeah, yeah, I don't trust you. (laughs) I just need to know, God. No, no, just follow me. And Abraham said what? Amen. Let's do it. He was counting on God to let his wife know, all his crew, all his cattle, all his sheep, all his every, his whole, amen, let's do it. Where are we going? What are we doing? I don't know. I'm following God. Can you trust God or not trust God? That's the bottom line. Can you trust him? Yeah, you can trust him. And if you seek him with your whole heart, Jeremiah says, you'll find him. If you really want to know who he is and you really want to know what he wants for you, if that's really what you want, if it's really his life and not your life, he will reveal himself to you every minute of every day. He will, he will make himself known. But if you're like a bank robber looking for a cop, <laughs> You know, you just want to know where he's at so you can go the other way. Or if you have your life and you just want him to help you out in your life and your plans, guess what? He's leaving you hanging a lot of times until you get the point where this, it's my life. You gave it to me. So, man, at this point, Abraham gave up his story to be part of God's story. Faith is saying amen to whatever God wants. How many of y'all have not been so happy with whatever God's wanted at some point in time? But then you see the wisdom in it. Maybe you won't even see the value in it till you get to heaven. But you will because he knows everything. He can do anything and he's everywhere. So here is what was happening. 
when Paul was writing Romans, there were a bunch of Jews saying, well, you got to be Jewish, accept Christ, but you got to be circumcised. You got to go do Jewish things. You gotta... The Judaizers fought early first century Christianity more than anything, trying to not give up their Jewish heritage and the Jewish rituals and the everything. He said, no, it's just Christ. That's all you need. Like, no, you need circumcision. You need... What about Abraham? Abraham was made right, and, and he was made righteous by circumcision, made righteous by his actions. And it's like Paul blows that away right now. You know, from the time of Malachi, you look at the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, and that was there was a lot of prophets going on at that point. From Malachi, they didn't listen, and God said, "You know what? I'm going to be quiet. I'm not giving y'all any new revelation until the Messiah comes." For 400 years, God was silent. But the rabbis had to have something to say, right? So they had all kinds of rabbinical writings. Oh, I hate when you guys come to me like, oh, have you read this rabbinical writing? And I'm like, no, no, no. Because they had to make stuff up about God. And they even had these big elaborate things on how Abraham was perfect. Like Muhammad, whatever Abraham did was exactly what we need to do. And, and he would, did the perfect thing. And he was righteous because of his deeds. And Paul's like, no, no, no. He's righteous the same way you are in this. Because he gave up his story to be a part of a better story, which is God's story. Again, I'm going to keep bringing that up because that's the question you got to ask yourself. Is life about me or is it about God? When you read God's Word, is it about me, how I can benefit from these promises, how I, or is it about learning about a big, mighty God where you don't really care what goes on because you got big, mighty God taking care of it? That's what it is for me. I don't care. I have Almighty God in charge, and I'm following Him, and I have His righteousness he loves me more than anyone can love me, so I don't care what the world brings at me. I don't care what situations bring at me. And, and Ashley and Linda, you remind me of that. <laughs> but that's what the theology is about. That's what we're supposed to see as a big, mighty God. Not like, oh, he can solve my marriage. He can solve my finances. He can solve my this. He can solve my that. No, you know how he solves it? By you surrendering to a big, mighty God and letting him do what he wants to with it. Amen? Yeah. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? In other words, what did he benefit from all the righteousness he did in the flesh? For if Abraham was justified, if Abraham got God's righteousness by works, then he has something to boast about, but not before God. In other words, look at my righteousness. Look at my righteousness. Hey, look how good I am. You ever been to church that way? You ever met people? Have you ever seen that person in the mirror? You know, look at me, look at me. Oh, God must really be blessed to have me serving him today because I have been so awesome. Anybody ever felt that way? How many, all right, let, let, let's see if you felt that way. How many of you, like, have not been very righteous? Like, oh, God doesn't even want to talk to me today. God doesn't even want to hear from me. Oh, my goodness, God's coming down with a giant fly slaughter. You know, you have his righteousness no matter what. And that love because he gave us that unconditional righteousness is supposed to motivate us towards holiness. We're supposed to see we want to turn and come back to him the farther we get away from him. It's a dangerous place to be. So if Abraham was justified by his own, then there's nothing to brag about God, you know, with God. It's like he might have something to boast about with y'all. Compared to y'all, he might be really righteous, but compared to God, he's not. 
The righteousness God requires is the righteousness Christ provided. Look at this next. For what does the scripture say? Oh, don't miss that point. You know what they say, Scott, did they say, well, let's go check all the rabbinical writings here. Hey, let's go see what so-and-so said. And hey, what do you think, you know, Brad and Julie? Hey, and what do you think, you know, and what do you guys think? Is that what they say? No. What does he say? Let's go check what? The scripture. That is our final authority. It's the only truth we have. It doesn't matter what, you know, Trent and Michelle say. See, I got it right. I didn't call you Kurt, right? All right. It doesn't matter. That's good. We talk about that. But everything we hear, we put up against the word of God. Don't miss that point. He's got a quandary here. They're saying one thing. He's saying another. Let's go see what scripture says. That's where we get our instructions. Abraham, what? Believed God. Abraham, God said, do this. He said, amen. God said, do that. He said, amen. God said, don't do that. He said, amen. Well, wait, what about me? What about my feelings? What about my time, my desires? This isn't fair. It's not about you if you're a believer. It's about him. If it's still all about you, you might just not be a believer. You might. You just might be a believer that's really gotten things out of whack and God brought you here today to make it all about his story and not your own anymore. What does scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15. You'll see that. Man, God came to him in Genesis 12 and he said, dude, he said, I'm going to make, you're an old man. He was 75 at the time. How old was he when he actually had a kid? 100, right? 75 to 100, that's 25 years. Skylar, what were you doing 25 years ago? Emily, what were you doing 25 years ago? You were getting your diaper changed by mom. What? Oh, yeah, okay, so you were like hooked up in utero, man. You were getting your nutrients from mom, and you feel your little belly button. It started there. That's what you were doing. Dude, what were, what were y'all doing? Emma, uh, you were getting your diaper changed by mom, 25. No, you would have been five, so hopefully you would have. Were you still getting your diaper changed by mom at five? <laughs> all right, good, 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 good. All right. Well, anyways, what were y'all doing 25 years ago? 25, put it in perspective. When God came to a 75-year-old man after he told him, leave. Okay, all right, amen. God, where are we going? What are we doing? Just leave. Follow me. And he leaves and follows God. And he continued to follow. In fact, you want to follow Abraham? Go read those chapters 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. And you know what you'll find? That you can follow Abraham by the altars he built. Every time he had an encounter with God, he built another altar. Every time he had another encounter with God, he built an altar. So he could go back through his journeys and remember, yeah, God spoke there, and this is what he showed me. And he never forget God, who God was in all of this. But God said, go, he went. God said, you know what? I'm going to give you a bunch of kids. You're going to be the beginning of a nation. And, and I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And I'm going to give you an offspring that's going to bless the entire world, which is the Messiah. What an important job. But he had to wait 25 years before he could actually even have that kid. Most of the time he said amen. There were a few times, like when he went to Egypt and told Pharaoh that his wife was his sister and all those things. There were some times. Where he didn't say amen, he did his own thing. But for the most part, Abraham said amen without knowing what the next move was because he knew he could trust the one calling the shots, which was God Almighty. 
It's what Scripture say. Abraham believed in Genesis 15, 15, 6, if you're taking notes and you want to look it up. That's where it says that he believed and it was counted him as righteousness. He had questions. God, how do I know? He said, I want you to look up in the, in the sky. And when you look up at the sky, you're going to see stars. And when you see those stars, I want you to know that's how many offspring you're going to have one day. Hey, Abraham, I want you to look down at the sand. And I want you to see all the grains of sand. And every time you look down at the grains of sand, I want you to be reminded that I keep my promises. That's how many kids you're going to have. So whether he looked up or he looked down, guess what he was reminded of? God's promises. You can be reminded of those same things. And that's what the Word of God is where we've got to be reminded of His promises so that we can have courage to continue to do things His way. Because it's way better if you've given Him your life. If God is righteousness, it's way better to follow Him than to be on this path here. In fact, every time you realize you're on this path, what do we need to do, Gary? We've got to repent. We turn back because we realize how stupid it is to be on this path. Yet we have Christians in Christianity always say, well, you can be this far on the path. You can go here, but not here. And we're always trying to find a comfortable, no, dude, just go to him. He wants you in his arms. That's where you're going to be forever. So what does scripture say? Abraham believed God. It was counted to him as righteousness through faith. Being a part of God's story is way better than anything you could ever be a part of in creating your own story. How many of y'all think you could create a better story for yourself than God? How many of y'all, seriously, come on, man. Is there anybody in here think you can create a better story for yourself than God could create for you? How many of you have tried? How many are trying right now? My hand's up. I catch myself when I'm on this path. Oh, I'm trying to create a story about me again, aren't I? <laughs> okay, the story's about you. I'm coming back. Because I heard God say, where's Tiny? Did he go to the bathroom? All right, what did, Ty, what did God say to me? Eddie, come back. Yes, and I come back. Because his story's way better than mine. And in this, uh, unrighteousness, watch this next part, unrighteousness is removed and righteousness is received. That's the best part of the story. Your unrighteousness, the unrighteousness, the sin you have in life that is going to cause God to throw his wrath down on you and send you to hell. He basically took that off of you and he put his righteousness on you. Not because you did this, 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 this. Not because you performed all these sacraments and you did all these things that were good. You fed the poor. You sold everything. What? Not because you did any of that. But because you did what? You believed. You said, he said, I want your life. I want your story to be my story. And what would you say? Amen. Let's do it. I want your story to be mine. He said, Amen. And he put his righteousness on you. That's the best thing you got in this story at this point in here. Look at Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but due. So you get a job, you know, you, you do your job, you get paid. That, it's expected, right? But that's not how it works with God. Because you could never do the job God asked you to do. You know the job, Trent? What's the job God asked you to do? It's to be what? Perfect. How you doing, Trent? How you doing? Could you ever do that job? Michelle, does he even got a chance of doing that job? Trent, does Michelle have a chance of doing that job? No. You, you're, you're asked to do a job you can't do. So that he, Christ, did the job. 
and said, I'll give you credit for the job I did, which is perfection. Any job you do is going to be less than perfect. You know, so by you trying to hold God to this standard, so Caitlin Gabriel, just because I'm not trying to figure out which one you are right now. All right, hang on. Hang on. Anyways. <laughs> uh, anyways, I'll get, it, I'll get it later, right? But, you know, if you work for your salvation, if you're saying, oh, God, I did this, I did this, I did this. Hey, if you work, you're building boards for us, right, Chuck? And, and I need to give you what? Because you're building boards. Money, yeah. So are you counting on money from me? I mean, I gave you enough to buy supplies, right? About half of it, right? Are you counting on the other half? Yes, I owe you. I owe you because, because you know, you're doing this service for me. So if I do a service for God and earn my salvation, you know what I'm telling God? God, you owe me. You have a performance-oriented theology. You have that legalism where, oh, I do this and God owes me this. I do this and God owes me this. Well, man, Tom, what do you think about the whole idea of God owing us anything? You laugh, right? He's almighty God. What does God owe you? You have earned a free trip to hell. That's what he owes you. And he's given you everything. He's given you so much more. God, can you imagine one day shaking your finger at God, Tara? God, you owe me. Do you know there's going to be people that are doing that? And they're going to go straight to hell. That's what the book of Revelation says. God, you owe me. That's what you're saying with your performance-oriented theology where, oh, I'm good today, so God, you must love me today. Ooh, I'm bad today. And no, God, you owe me because I'm being good. No, dude. He didn't owe you anything. He gave you his righteousness and took your unrighteousness away. So he's saying, Abraham and God were not in this owing situation where God worked for Abraham and, and, God, and then God owed Abraham stuff. No. Because if you work for wages and you get what's due, that's not what we're talking about. And to the one who does not work but believes in him, the one who says amen to him, the one who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Look at this. So, first of all, what did, they, what did the Jews think about Abraham? Was he godly or ungodly? Oh, he was worshipped on a pedestal as the most godly. Paul has the guts to say Abraham's ungodly. They're like, what? Oh, no. You know, that's why they wanted to kill him and all that other stuff. He's saying, no, he's ungodly just like you. He needed to be saved the same way as you. And look what he says about God. God's the one who justifies he puts righteousness in the account of the ungodly. How many of you are ungodly and got him to put righteousness in your account? Yeah, that's us. And to those that believe, those that aren't trying to earn that righteousness, but say, God, I'm at your mercy. I need your righteousness. I can't be perfect. I've blown it. I need you to save me. You have to swallow your pride and you, you say, amen, because you realize that's what happens. And your faith, by saying amen, that is the righteousness you have. Abraham got that in chapter 12, chapter 15, long before circumcision came about. So just as David speaks of this, David wrote uh, quite a few Psalms, 51, 32. This is a quote from chapter thir uh, 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 Psalm 32 when he screwed up with Bathsheba. Y'all remember the story with Bathsheba? 
So David, at a time when kings should have been out in a battle, David was just hanging out on his porch. He looked over at the neighbor's house and saw a naked woman. She was good looking. He was like, whoa, I think I'd like to have that. I'm the king. They're like, hey, Uriah, you know, the guy that would die for you, one of your mighty men, that's his wife. But emotions and hormones and ah, everything took over. I don't care. Bring her over. Bring her over. And he had sex with her, had a relationship with her. She got pregnant. He tried to bring Uriah back and say, oh, Uriah, go sleep with your wife. <laughs> go have a party with your wife. Go do this. So that when she turned up pregnant, oh, you can blame that. There were no more Epovich DNA tests at that time. But yeah, but Uriah's like, no, I could never do that while the men are out to battle. He tried it twice. And David's now stuck like, oh, man. And then Nathan, the prophet, came and said, yeah, man, imagine this dude who's got like a bunch of sheep. And his neighbor has one sheep. And he has some guys come over and want to eat. And instead of taking one of his sheep, he goes and kills the favorite sheep of this one guy, that the only sheep he has. What would you do to a guy like that? And David's like, well, I would kill him. That's what he's doing. He said, David, that's you. You took this man's wife that didn't belong to you. And David, yeah, went through some things, but David repented. You want to read about real repentance? Read Psalm 51. Read Psalm 32. And this is what David wrote in this that Paul is bringing up in Romans. David also speaks to the blessings of one whom God counts righteous apart from works. So David didn't have to do a bunch of good things to pay for the bad thing he did. Could David have ever done enough good things to pay for the bad thing he did? No. Can you, Ethan, can you do enough good works to pay for all the bad things you have done? No. Now your parents have some questions for you. Well, how many bad things have you done, Ethan, in your 12 years of life or whatever? Yeah, uh, are you 12 now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you've done a lot of bad things. If you didn't do them, you thought about doing them. And those count as sin. You could never do enough good works. So you have to believe that Christ did the perfect work and it's paid for by him for you. So David said, man, of God who counts righteousness apart from works. He goes on and said, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. In other words, God has taken your lawless, all of your sin, he's taken it away. Here comes the lamb, John the Baptist, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He took your sin away and put, and look at this, and whose sins are covered. That word covered you're going to see come up, and that word covered is an accounting term. If, if, uh, if I were to, if, if, Carolee, if I were to take a thousand bucks and put it in your bank account, all right, uh, let's say a million dollars, and I put it, now you're smiling, all right, but put a million bucks in your bank account, whose is it? It's yours. It's yours. And that's what this word covered means. It's an accounting term to mean to put it in somebody's account, all right? And so notice what it doesn't say when we talk about this is that all of a sudden they are righteous and they're incapable of sinning anymore. How many of you are righteous and incapable of sinning anymore? And that's where we get confused because we're told we're perfect, but we know we're not. Brandon, does that not confuse you? That's what confused me. Well, dude, I sinned, so I must not be saved. No, that's not the point. He puts righteousness like money in a bank account into your account, and it's there, it's yours forever, you're covered, it's paid for, your salvation. Sanctification is something different. That's where you now become more like him. But he said, David, look what he said, the two things, blessing, blessed, uh, 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 speaks of the blessings of the one who, 
God counts righteousness apart from works. You can't work to become righteous. God had to put his righteousness on you. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. They're covered by him. Matthew, Zimba, how long are they covered for? And, and if you don't believe they're covered, it's because of your lack of what? Faith. But, but whether you have faith to believe they are or not, they're still covered, aren't they? Don't you have some moments in life where you don't feel like they're covered? You're a little naked as far as righteousness is concerned? Yeah, but they are. So by faith, we walk believing what the word of God says. Thank you for sending me that book, by the way. <laughs> faith. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not. What's the next word again? What's the next word? Count. We've already seen it one time. That word count. It, it, look what it says. Who will not count his sin against him. So again, you're still going to sin, but it doesn't count against you. You're covered. You are covered by his righteousness. It doesn't count against you. Now, you say, well, wait a minute. First John 1 talks about, you know, sinning and fellowship. So again, if you have God over here, pretend this lady is God. All right? No, I'm just saying. But <laughs> you've never seen God dressed like that before, have you? But I'm just saying, pretend. That. So, so God covers you with his righteousness, right? We can't do this right now. I'll come back to this. No, but, but against, uh, so, so again, we're covered. He will not count our sins against us. He will not count them ever against us. But the point is, is, well, wait a minute. When I sin, why does that mess me up with God? Because if that's God over there and you're walking this way, what's the problem? You're walking away from him. So can you have fellowship with somebody? You, Julia and Sean, you're trying to have an intimate moment, and Julia walks off. How's that work? It doesn't, right? So take note, wives. But I'm just saying, it's like, yeah, so you're trying to have an intimate moment, and they walk off. It's like you've just blown the intimate moment. When is God trying to have an intimate moment with you, Chuck? Always. So whenever you walk off, you blow it. Again, now, is that going to jeopardize your salvation? Is that going to make him strip off his righteousness? No, it just means you have removed yourself from God. And God's over there waiting to have an intimate moment. And you keep walking off. So it affects your fellowship with him, not your salvation. Does that make sense, y'all? That's what the Bible's talking about. You don't lose your salvation. You lose your intimacy with God. Did God go anywhere? No, God didn't go in. I heard it when I first got saved. Some of y'all don't get this, some of y'all aren't, but man, I heard this story about this, this old, old couple. They're driving in a little pickup truck. Y'all remember bench seats? Anybody remember bench seats, right? And, and they're in a bench seat, and when they were first dating, man, and they had this old truck their whole life, right? And they're in the bench seat, guys in there driving, and where do you think the wife was when they were dating Emily? Oh, show me, show me, show me. <laughs> oh, we're right here, man. We're right here, you know. And they're all next to each other, right? And then, and then a little later, they get married, and she kind of, you know, they're next to each other. And then a little later, she kind of moves over. Then a little later, she's way over on the other side, man. She got her arm hanging out the window, and he's there. And then she looks at him and says, honey, you remember when we were dating and how close we used to be when we were in this truck? And he's sitting there by the steering wheel and he says, I ain't gone nowhere. 
Y'all get it? He says, I ain't going nowhere. That's the punchline. Sorry, I told you it was a bad joke. I ain't going nowhere. That's God. God's over here saying, I ain't going nowhere. You're the one that keeps walking away from me. You don't have intimacy with me. It's not because I don't love you. It's because you're walking away from me. Repent. Come back towards me. But that has nothing to do with your salvation. Bless the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. God is not counting your sin against you and but it, for salvation. And he's not counting it against you when you walk away. You're just getting farther and farther and farther away. Right now, how many of y'all can hear me? You can hear me good, right? How many of y'all wish you didn't? No, I'm just joking. But the kids, can they hear me? No, because they're downstairs. How about, how about over there at... Uh, Cumbies, can they hear me? No, because they're not away. Is it because I don't want them to hear me? I don't want to tell them what God's word is. No, they're not here to do it. And that's what happens in our fellowship. That's why you don't have a worse relationship because God loves you perfectly, which means he can't love you anymore and he can't love you any less. He's over there at the steering wheel. For all of y'all didn't get the truck joke, all right? He's got the steer, he's at his steering wheel. You're the one that moved, not him. Bless the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So through faith, your story becomes his story. When your story becomes his story, you're born again into an awesome, eternal, and universal family. Did you get this? Okay? You're born again into, you're not in this alone. You have an awesome, eternal, universal family of other believers in here. All right, I'm going to preach this. And how many of y'all brought your beach towels today? Anybody bring your beach towels? I told some of y'all bring your beach towels. How many of y'all brought beach? Anybody got their beach towels? Let me see your hand if you got to hold your beach towel up. All right. In a minute, I'm going to have y'all use those beach towels, all right? So when you believe, you belong. As soon as you believe, you belong to a family of believers. Is is this blessing then only for circumcised people and also for, the, or for, also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness, okay? That happened before circumcision. Uh, same thing, people, you can equate that to baptism. People think they got to get baptized to get saved. Well, I think you got to get saved before you get baptized because baptism is a symbol of your salvation. Circumcision was a sign God gave Abraham and for their people to remind them of the covenant that they had. But they're saying, no, you got to be circumcised to be saved. I'm like, no, like people tell me I got to be baptized to be saved. Or I got to speak in tongues to be saved. Or I got to do whatever to be saved. No, you know what I got to do to be saved? I got to say amen to God and give him my life. That's what I got to do. The blessing then is only for the circumcised or uncircumcised. For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. All right, JJ, I'm not going to push it again. I'm like, oh, how then was it counted him? Was it before or after he'd been circumcised? It was after he, or before he was circumcised. Chapter 15, circumcision didn't come to Genesis chapter 17. It was not after, but before he was circumcised. See, I told you. He received a sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. In other words, circumcision like baptism is a picture of of your covenant, your commitment, your relationship with God. When I take you up into the water, it looks like a cross, right? When I take you under, it represents Jesus' what? Death. Aren't you glad that Jesus rose? Otherwise, baptism would be the last thing you did, right? I'd hold you under till no more bubbles, but I get to take you up because it represents Jesus' what? 
His resurrection. It represents you saying, I die, I'm dying to live my own life, and I'm rising to live a life with him as my new boss. It's his life, not mine anymore. That's a sign that doesn't save you. It just tells everybody what you did. He, the, so that's what they're talking about here, that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. Before he got circumcised, he had faith. He had faith first. The purpose, look at this, the purpose was to make him the father of who? All that believe without being circumcised. How many of y'all believe without being circumcised? Yeah, there you go. Ladies, raise your hand, please. I'm just saying. But everyone, we believe. We're not like, oh, I'm saved by my circumcision. Saved by. No, we believe. That's what he's saying. Abraham's the father of all who believe. So who's your daddy? And that God's our father, but he was the first one that showed us that you're saved. You get his righteousness by just saying amen. I want it to be your life, not mine anymore. So the righteousness would be counted to them as well. Do you see that word counted again? That word counted? That's the accounting term. Does that mean you're righteous? No, it doesn't mean. It means you still mess up, but it means God looks at you and says you're righteous. He gives you that, des that designation. So shouldn't that motivate us to act like that? Shouldn't it encourage us to want to actually be righteous? Yes, that's the idea. But we are counted as righteous. And to make them him the father of the circumcised, so whether you're circumcised or not, it really doesn't matter is what he's saying. It's all about you saying amen to God. But who also walk in the footsteps of the faith that our father Abraham had before he was circumcised. Again, faith means to tell God what? Amen. God says, dude, I want you to do this. Amen. I don't want you to do this anymore. Amen. Not, well, what about God? Have you considered this? Have you considered the consequences if we do this? Or if we don't do this? Or what? No, God just said, do it. Amen. I'll guide you and lead you on the details later. How many of y'all remember a little kid's song, Father Abraham? Anybody remember that song? All right. <clears throat> Ashley, we're going to sing that song? No, we're not going to sing. I'll go over it. Who wants to sing? Who remembers it? Remember it? Come on. All right, help me out here. Father Abraham had many kids. Many kids had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And then we would just go over this over and over and over again. This is the beginning of praise worship back in the day. Father Abraham, how many of y'all remember that song? Did y'all have that song when you were little? And how many of y'all just say it because it was fun to jump around and bounce around and Father Abraham? And, and, and then they'd say, say it faster. Father Abraham, he was in the kid. We don't want to tell us. Father Abraham, you know, yeah, I mean, we do it backwards now like Satan. No, I'm just joking. But, but literally, like we would just sing and sing and sing it. But look, that's what this scripture is about. Father Abraham had many kids. Many kids had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. If you are a child of Father Abraham, it means that you, by faith, have said amen to God. It's not my life. It's your life. That's what Abraham did. He said, it's not about me anymore. It's all about you. So... Is this life about you writing your own story or through faith saying amen to whatever God wants, being a part of his story? One last illustration. All you with beach towels, come on up. I see you got a beach towel. Come on up. 
Yeah, come on up. That beach towel. Yeah, come on up. Or send somebody up with that beach towel. Come on up, man. Hey, Tiny, come on up. We got to, you're God. No, Skylar, come on up here. You just bring that beach towel. Tiny's God. He's already got his job, man. He's already got his job, man. Give, give Tiny your beach towels, y'all. He's God, man. Give him your beach towels. All right. Tiny, take, oh, come on. I had more beach towels here. I know. Some of y'all are like cheesing out on me. Nope, that's all the beach towels we have. That's all. Hey, Skylar, stay up here, man. We're all my, whoever brought beach towels, come on up, man. Whoever's got beach towel. With. So again, here, nobody else brought their beach towels in. Oh, my goodness. I did. You guys didn't do a good job in the parking lot. So right off the bat, oh, that's mine right there. Sorry, God. Um, but uh, so right off the bat, I, 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 you know what? God says, I want your life. I say, what? Amen. I come over and he clothes me in his righteousness. He takes my unrighteousness and gives me his righteousness. Now I am on a path, either walking away from him or walking towards him or having intimate fellowship with him. And so right now I'm going to hang out like a brand new baby believer. Come on, man. He's calling you right here. All right. And, and, and you're not on this path alone, dude. Hey, we're on this path together, man. We're both having intimate fellowship with God Almighty right here. Check this out, all right? And, and, and then, Ashley, hey, you want to give up your life and let him have your life? All right, there we go. So, all right. No, it's I love you. You're God. There you go. All right. You make that straight. All right. And we got Tara. Oh, Oh, now look, hey, I was one of the first ones, and look, which way am I walking? Forward or am I awake? I'm walking away. So what does God say? And what does God say through my brothers and sisters in Christ? No! <laughs> and, and what do they do now? I'm not ready. What do they do now? Okay, it hurts over here. I'm coming back. And so they encourage me. We encourage each other when we see each other walking away from God to come back. And we have intimate fellowship. And that's what this is about. You don't lose this. When do I need all the other righteous people in my life when I'm walking away? We help each other see life from God's perspective. Amen. And I know this is a stellar looking group a specimen of God's children, but can you imagine all the people walking in his righteousness right now? And when you feel all alone, man, you feel like, do you think you can make a difference in his righteousness of encouraging another believer? Yeah, and we get into that. So we're not in, we're in a big giant family that's covered in righteousness. And that's one of the biggest benefits. So we lose our unrighteousness, we gain his righteousness, and we gain a giant family all covered in his righteousness, man. How many of y'all are grateful to be part of the family of God? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus. And um, this is what your word said. And it's pretty cool. I've never really seen it until I looked at the way the message wrote it. And the way the message wrote the first few verses is that Abraham wasn't into an Abraham thing. He was into a God thing. It was not about Abraham's life anymore. It was now about God. Take what God would do in his life. So, Father, um, I'm grateful for that. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take each of us today and help us to do an audit, an assessment, to see who or what our life is really about. Realizing that the one who loved us more than anyone could ever love us, the one that loves us perfectly, can't love us more, can't love us less, paid more for us 
than anyone could ever pay for anyone or anything. And that makes us valuable. Father, I pray, Father, that um, we would realize that we have your righteousness on us. You took our unrighteousness, nailed it to the cross with Christ, but you gave us your righteousness. We don't act like it. We don't feel like it. But by faith, we know that we have it. And nothing can be done to take it away. It's ours. It's in our spiritual account. So, Father, I pray that would motivate us to act like it. It would motivate us to a holy, righteous life to act like what our identity really is. Father, I pray that we would do that audit in our lives and see what our life is really about, knowing that the more it's about you, the better it is. The more it's filled with love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, which is spirit control. Father, the, the more it's going to be like heaven, the more we hang with you. So Father, help us not confuse salvation with sanctification because the devil can get us to doubt our salvation. Then all of a sudden we're doing everything for us again. It's not for your glory. Help us to truly serve you because we love you and want to do crazy things for someone we're in love with. And Father, the only way we can love you more is for you to reveal to us how much you love us. So I pray you would do that. And if there's somebody here today that's not sure they're going to heaven when they die, someone who's not sure that they're clothed in your righteousness, Father, I pray today you would give them faith through grace, to be able to just give you carte blanche their life and say, amen, it's yours. None of us who've ever given our lives to Christ and wish we hadn't, well, most of us wish we had done it sooner. So Father, give those who needed a desire they can't refuse to surrender everything they know about themselves, everything they know about you. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.